Hi, and welcome to Make Me a Medic. We are a group of high school students from the UK who are desperate to be doctors. Join us on our journey to medicine. Welcome back to our AIDS series. Today we're going to talk about the stigma surrounding AIDS and HIV in a bit more depth, as well as how people currently manage it today. But first, let's discuss the medical scenario from last week. A patient diagnosed with HIV reveals to their GP that they have not disclosed this information to their partner. Discuss the ethical issues involved. So the first thing a doctor should do is to fully inform the patient of the risks associated with not disclosing this information and encourage their patient to disclose this information to the partner themselves. The patient may not want to because of the fear and stigma surrounding HIV, they might be afraid that their partner will lash out, um, or they might just be scared, and or and they might not come to terms and accept their diagnosis yet. However, the doctor does have a duty to protect and ensure the safety of society which comes under the pillar of justice, and based on these grounds may choose to make a disclosure to the patient's partner about the patient's HIV status. However, this would be the absolutely last option, and the doctor would need to inform the patient of their actions. So this links quite well with patient autonomy, as doctors must respect the decision made by patient. However, patient autonomy is not absolute, particularly in a case like this, where society or another patient is at risk. In this case, Confidentiality may be broken, which may also affect the doctor-patient relationship. Also, doctors must continue to provide the best care in the patient's best interest. So when making a disclosure, it's important to weigh up the benefits like protecting another patient's health against harm, which could affect the patient-doctor relationship and future disclosures. So... You can say to the interview panel that it is always important and helpful to consult the GMC's ethical guidelines in cases like this. And something you might want to take into account is that it's important that in an interview you are aware of the some of the legalities. But if you don't, it's better to be honest about it than not knowing and claiming you do. So we want to mention some facts about the stigma surrounding HIV and AIDS. It can negatively affect the health and well-being of people living with HIV by discouraging some people from learning their HIV status, accessing treatment or staying in care. HIV stigma can also affect those at risk of HIV by discouraging them from seeking HIV prevention tools and testing and from talking openly with their sex partners about safer sex options. Populations disproportionately affected by HIV are also often affected by stigma due to, among other things, their gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, drug use or sex use. For those of you who don't know, internalised stigma is when a person with HIV experiences negative feelings or thoughts about themselves due to their HIV status. Almost 8 in 10 adults with HIV receiving medical care report feeling internalised HIV-related stigma. Internalised stigma can lead to depression, isolation and feelings of shame and can affect individuals' ability to stay adherent to their HIV medication. And you can play an important role in reducing stigma and discrimination by offering support and speaking out to correct myths and stereotypes about HIV that you might hear from others. You can learn which words have negative meanings for people at risk or living with HIV and which are empowering. Be intentional when you choose your words and mindful of how they can affect those around you. 
There are a couple of things we can all do to try and stand up for stigma and not only for the ones surrounding AIDS. So first, you can get the facts. Then you can get inspired. Look at people who live healthily with HIV and also get involved. So there are some campaigns that are specifically about stopping stigma for HIV. And if any of you are interested, you should definitely check them out. And if you do, do share them with us. We're now going to talk about how people with HIV or AIDS live with it today. Firstly, there are things which they can't do. For example, donating blood or organs. Uh, They can't join the armed forces and they may have difficulty getting life insurance to cover mortgage loans. Um, But it's not compulsory and there are now specialist life insurance policies for people with HIV. Um, And they also um, can't visit a list of certain countries either. People with HIV are protected under the Equality Act 2010. There's no legal obligation to tell your employer you have HIV unless you have a frontline job in the armed forces or work in a healthcare role where you perform invasive procedures. If you work in a healthcare role, you'll need to be monitored by your occupational health team and HIV doctor to ensure you're not putting yourself and patients at risk of infection. The Equality Act 2010 also places restrictions on the health questions employers can ask during a job application process. Employers are allowed to ask health questions only after an offer of employment has been made to help them decide whether they can carry out tasks essential for the job. There is a treatment available to help uh, prevent pregnant women from passing their HIV to their children. However, without treatment, there's a 1 in 4 chance your baby will become infected with HIV. With treatment, the risk is less than 1 in 100 so it's just less than 1%. So um, advances in treatment mean there's no increased risk of passing the virus to your baby with normal delivery, but for some women, a cesarean section may still be recommended, often for reasons not related to your HIV. So you have to discuss the benefits of each delivery method, as well as the risks with the staff at the HIV clinic. And the final decision about how the baby is delivered is the woman's, and the staff will respect that decision. Um, if the patient does have HIV, they shouldn't really breastfeed their baby as the virus can be transmitted through breast milk. That's kind of the only kind of caveat. If you or your partner has HIV, options may be available that allow you to conceive a child safely. So you should ask your HIV doctor for advice. And if you have HIV and become pregnant, you should contact your HIV clinic. And this is actually quite important because some HIV treatments can actually be harmful to your unborn baby. And so your treatment plan will need to be reviewed. Also, additional medicines might be needed to prevent your baby from contracting HIV. Also, if you'll be at risk of developing infections... You would not normally be at risk if your immune system has been damaged by HIV virus. These opportunistic infections, as they're called, happen when you have a very weak immune system. But if you take your HIV treatment, the likelihood of developing these is low. The four main types of opportunistic infections are bacterial infections such as pneumonia or tuberculosis, fungal infections such as oral thrush and um, pneumocystis pneumonia, parasitic infections such as toxoplasmosis and viral infections such as shingles. People with advanced HIV also have a higher risk of developing some forms of cancer, such as cancer of the lymphatic system.
So HIV is treated with antiviral medications, which work by stopping the virus from replicating in the body. This basically allows the immune system to repair itself and prevent any further damage. A combination of HIV drugs is used because HIV can quickly adapt and become resistant. Some HIV treatments have been combined into a single pill known as a fixed dose combination, but these often cost more to prescribe. Usually people who have just been diagnosed with HIV take between one to four pills daily. Different combinations of HIV medication work for different people. So the medicine that you take will be individual to you. And the amount of HIV virus in your blood, which is the viral load, is measured to see how well the treatment is actually working. And once it can no longer be measured, it's known as undetectable. And most people taking daily HIV treatment reach an undetectable viral load within about six months of starting treatment. And most of the medicines used to treat HIV can interact with other medicines prescribed by your GP or by over-the-counter. This includes some nasal sprays and inhalers, um, herbal medicines like St. John's Wort, as well as other recreational drugs. But you should always check with your HIV clinic staff or your GP before taking any other medicines. We've spoken a lot about the Western world and the ways in which the Western world is able to combat, combat both HIV and AIDS. However, it would be unfair to not mention the, the situation that a lot of developing countries are still finding themselves in. Um, you know, while here in the UK, the horrors of AIDS are beginning to sound like a distant memory from the past, many countries are still living in an AIDS epidemic, mainly finding themselves higher in Africa and countries. So South Africa has the biggest HIV epidemic in the world, with 7.7 .7 million people living with HIV. HIV prevalence among the general population is high at 20.4%. Prevalence is even higher among um, gay men, transgender women, sex workers, and people who um, consume intravenous drugs. So, South Africa has made huge improvements in getting people to test for HIV in recent years. It has now made the first of the 1990 UNAIDS targets. So, 90% of people living with HIV are aware of their status in 2018. The 1990 targets are a global initiative to help countries combat AIDS. The targets go as, so 90% um, of people who are living with AIDS will be aware of the status, 90% of those will receive antiretroviral treatment and 90% of those will um, be declared undetectable. So the country has the world's largest ART program which has undergone further expansion with the implementation of test and treat guidelines. South Africa has also made the first country in sub-Saharan Africa to fully approve PrEP which is now being made available to people at high risk of infection. So why is there still such a huge problem? Well, the issue is stigma. So still, obviously, since um, you know, gay sex is kind of a main form of transmission, um, people who, you know, men who are gay may not want to come forward because it's still heavily stigmatised and they may fear um, hate crime or attack or violence and they'll be afraid to come forward or even ashamed of their sexuality. Um, so, and like um, pretty much every group in the risk category, everyone's a highly vulnerable group and is therefore afraid. Additionally, um, men are, there's an issue of men feeling kind of ashamed of potentially having HIV and thus they refuse to go get tested. 
um, because they don't want that label. Um, however, the authorities are working with the to try and destigmatize AIDS. Another issue is that women are disproportionately affected by HIV in South Africa. In 2017, 26% of women were estimated to be living with HIV, compared to around 15% of men. Um, poverty, the low status of women and gender-based violence have all been cited as reasons for this disparity in HIV prevalence. So it was estimated in 2017 that around a third of women have experienced, have experienced intimate partner violence in the past 12 months, and that is a level that is similar across all age groups. Specifically, there is an issue of younger girls being married off or... Um, being sex partners for older men and there's a high prevalence of HIV in older men and that then um, is passed down to young girls even girls as young as 14 it's quite common to see that um, additionally it's highly prevalent um, among sex workers and uh, over the past 12 months 55% of all um, female sex workers have been raped or sexually assaulted so you know it's a huge it's a huge industry um and there were so these groups are obviously incredibly at risk you know you can't just go and admit you're a sex worker that's not something that everyone is comfortable with doing or um you know not everyone unfortunately gets treatment um as they should so this is just a huge problem of stigma of the groups themselves which are at risk being incredibly vulnerable as we've said it's gay men um drug users and um young women who are most at risk therefore all of these groups are so so vulnerable however you know there are programs being put in place so it's looking better and hopefully um we can start to see a decline and it's over on coming years than south africa we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode um and the whole two-part AIDS series. It's been really interesting doing research for this. Uh, it's really opened my mind as well to the stigma and just how um, much resilience people that have AIDS must have to live with it and kind of fight that stigma around it every day. So, yeah, it's been very interesting um, recording this podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Um, there's no ethics question for this week because next week we have our history episode. But... In terms of the winner of last week's ethical question, it's going to have to go to Lee Taylor again because he wrote a really good answer. Thank you for listening um, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Make Me a Medic Podcast and share us with other expiring medics. Join us next week for another exciting episode.